Just a minute or two, we're going to be back in Ephesians. Feels like a long time. It's only been a couple weeks. Amazing how an ice storm will make you feel like it's been a long time. It's good to be back together in this study, which we're going to stay in until we get to Easter, and then we will uh, we'll be wrapping up Ephesians and moving on to a, a new study in the spring. Uh, so I've hit a couple of milestones in the last two or three weeks, and I have a group of friends that are very uh, good at reminding me uh, of those milestones, uh, both in, in, in good ways and, and in fun ways and in, and in some creative ways uh, that kind of put a smile on my face. But uh, I turned 60 in January, and then last week I celebrated uh, with an ice storm. I celebrated my actual literal, the, the, the 20th Sunday, Sunday, the actual date of, of coming to Green Tree as the planting pastor. And so my, my staff and my friends have been very kind. Uh, and very gracious in this, but they've also, you know, they've taken their shots, and they're like, oh, you're an old man now, and, and you know, let, let me help you with that chair, and that sort of thing, uh, so they've, they've had a little fun with it, uh, which is fine, and, and I, you know, I can't say that I haven't done that to other folks, um, but as you get a bit older, and some of you are like, you know, I'm older than 60, so, you know, wait till you catch up with me. And others of you are a lot younger than that and some somewhere in between. But as you, as you get older, uh, you maybe begin to reflect a little bit uh, on your life and on the things that, that you have appreciated, things for which you've been thankful, things maybe you wish you'd done a little differently and that sort of thing. So I've been thinking a little bit the last couple of weeks, and it's y'all's fault, not mine, uh, but I've been thinking a little bit. And I've been thinking about words that I hope describe my life. I'm not sure they do. Uh, but I think they're good words, and I, and, I, and I hope that I have some of them in my life. So four words. Uh, the first word is tenacity. And when I think of tenacity, I'm thinking not just of kind of the ability to, to hang on to something when times get tough, and certainly Winston Churchill is a picture of somebody who did that, but, but it's more than that. It's not giving up what you really truly believe in even when others are pushing against you or pushing you to go in a different direction. Tenacity, in, in my mind, is hanging on uh, to principles uh, in which you believe very strongly. So I like that word, tenacity. The second word that, that I like, and I hope I have some in my life, is the word vision. Now, vision is, is not just like looking into the future and, and you know, kind of trying to guess at what may happen. I believe vision is looking at a current circumstance or a current set of, of situations and saying, we can do better than this. We, we, can, we can go to a, to a better place than where we are today. And I believe there's nobody, at least in my lifetime, there isn't anybody that epitomizes vision more so than Dr. King, who said of our country, we're not where we ought to be. But he was committed to moving us in a direction of, of a new dawn. He had vision. He could see what it could be. And, and so I, I love that word because of that and hope I have some of this in my life. Now, the next phrase is more the picture. You, you may, you know, Tony LaRusso, you kind of either love him or hate him. There are people in St. Louis that, that, you know, love him and others that, nah, maybe not so much. But the thing about Tony LaRusso is that, that it, it, when it comes to baseball, he was an evil genius. He was smarter than pretty much anybody else he came up against. And if you were a top-level manager in a professional baseball team and you were thinking about what you were going to do and it's the seventh inning, whatever you're thinking about in that moment, Tony Lewis had thought about in the third inning. And he was already five more moves down the board. He didn't, he didn't always win, but he's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. 
one of the most amazing managers because he just had a way of thinking strategically. He could get down into the weeds and say, now here are the five things that these guys are going to do if this happens. And if they do that, we're already going to counter it with these. I mean, he was just brilliant at strategic thinking. And I would love to be a good strategic thinker. The fourth word that uh, crossed my mind is the notion of service. I've come to the point in my life, and it's been slow, and I can't even say I'm all the way there yet, where I realize, or I'm beginning to realize it's not all about Tom. <laughs> there are other people that, that are in need, and the opportunity to serve others, the opportunity to care well for others. So uh, you can do some thinking of your own. Those were kind of the, the, the four qualities that came into my, I don't know why there were four, not three or seven, but those are the four that came into my mind. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is going to talk about one fundamental quality or characteristic that every disciple of Jesus ought to have. And it, it, it shouldn't surprise us if we've been around the Bible at all that that is the notion of love. So we're going to look this morning at Ephesians chapter 5, just two verses. You blink and you might miss them, one and two, but we're going to look at them and ask the question, are we a spiritually healthy community? And the way we will know that in large measure is defined by imitating what our Father has done and loving one another well. So we're going to read this passage. Like I said, it's only two verses. And because it's so short and you might miss it, we're going to read it out loud together. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to read Ephesians 1 and 2. And then when we get done with reading Ephesians 1 and 2, because it's so short, we're going to read it again. <laughs> Here we go. First time through. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Great. One more time. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Thanks, you can be seated. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we ask this morning that you would be our teacher. That your message would be deeply embedded into our hearts. Father, we thank you that you have loved us with a perfect love from before the foundation of the world, and you will love us with a perfect love even in our brokenness, even in our sin, even when we get it wrong. You will never stop loving your children, and you will love us perfectly for all of eternity. Father, you use the Apostle Paul to tell us that that ought to be something that infiltrates our lives. It ought to be a mark of our community. It ought to be something for which we are known. Lord, I confess when I think of love, I, I tend to want to think of it as being on the receiving end, not necessarily on the giving. And yet, Lord, how can I receive your love and not share it with other people? How can I receive your love, claim to be a disciple of Jesus, embrace your gospel, and live for myself? Well, Lord, we pray that you would, you would break down our hearts this morning, our minds, that you would speak your truth, that we would hear it for what it is that you would apply it to our lives. Lord, we do not need my words or my opinions. We need your holy and glorious truth to be transforming our lives. It's that for which we pray. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to your teaching this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So I'm going to suggest that uh, Ephesians 5, 1, and 2 are telling us that a spiritually healthy community is one in which Jesus' disciples imitate our Heavenly Father's love for us in our relationships with one another. So there's the, there's the key, uh, that we're not just receiving God's love, but that we're actually embracing it and we're allowing it to transform us and we're allowing it and, and we're longing for it to actually uh, make us into different people so that the way we treat each other is uh, in many ways, in large part, defined by God's love. So the fact that Jesus talked about love in the Gospels uh, pretty much goes without saying if you've been a Christian for a while. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you've never read the Bible, you may be, you know, I've heard some things that Jesus said about love, but I'm not sure what they were. Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw a couple of them up on the screen, but trust me when I tell you, we're kind of touching the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. I'm just going to give three verses of which Jesus speaks of love, but there are, there are many, many more. If you want to study, go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, and you can see where Jesus is either talking about it or he's acting on it, or he's demonstrating it to the people around him. But some of the things Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So Jesus holds himself up as the example. He says, think about how I've loved you. And when you think about that, do that with one another. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is quoting out of the Old Testament law but somebody asked him, what are some of the most important things in life that, that I ought to be thinking about? And Jesus says, here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not just vertical. I'm going to love God. I mean, I could stand in front of you guys today and say, I love God so much. He is, I, he is, he is the passion of my heart. How are you going to know that? The way you're going to notice, you're going to go home and you're going to follow me around my neighborhood and see if that's really true. You're going to come here tomorrow morning when I, when I show up for work and you're going to watch how I interact with my fellow staff members and you're going to find out whether or not that's really true because I shall also, if I'm doing that, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And arguably Jesus' most famous uh, sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to switch some things up for you. You've heard it said that you ought to love your neighbor but hate your enemy. That's not right. I say to you, and by the way, Jesus is claiming final authority on the conversation here. He's not saying I'm tossing out a suggestion. He's saying this is how it ought to be. And I, I'm the Lord to say that. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So what we're looking at this morning in Ephesians chapter 5 is not Paul's new idea of love. He's simply taking the foundation that the Lord has already begun, and he's going to expand our thinking on that. He's going to, he's going to fill in some. I want to give you four observations out of this text on how I believe Paul is helping us understand what it means for us to be a healthy community by loving one another with the love that God has given us. The first is this, that Paul calls us to replicate God's attitude and actions as well-loved children imitate their parent. So, therefore, be imitators of God, how? As servants? No. As people duty-bound to work really hard and do a great job? No. By, you know, being the best employee in the business? No. Be imitators of God as children imitate their parent, as a beloved child. Look at those pictures. You think that the, the son with the mom there, I guess they're doing yoga. I, I don't have a body that can do yoga. I know that comes as a shock to a lot of you. Uh, I could maybe get in that 
I'm not even going to claim that. Uh, but look at the look on his face. He doesn't look like he's scared. He doesn't look like mom's going to reach over and, you know, give him a fresh one if he doesn't do it. Look at, the, look at the joy in his eyes. He's doing something with his mom, and he's having so much fun imitating mom. Look, look at the young businessman there going off to work with dad, so to speak. He's got his tie on. He's got his briefcase. He's being just like dad. Those are children that are loved well. Those are children that, that, that look at their parents and, and, and the love their parents have given them is molded and shaped them. I remember when my, when my children were little and they just wanted to be like me in everything. Now that they're older, they want to be like me in some things and other things, maybe not so much. But our Heavenly Father's love and example is perfect. I can't find anything in Scripture about God that I don't want more of in my heart. And yet I find this struggle in my life, and I think it's true in most believers with whom I have come into contact. And remember now I'm officially an old man, so that's a, that's a lot of people. Do we really understand, do we really embrace the notion that we are beloved? You see, faith is certainly spiritual, right? We're dead spiritually and God makes us alive. Faith is certainly intellectual. It causes us to be challenged in the way we think and uh, the, the assumptions we have, the conclusions we draw, but it's also emotional. Faith is emotional. You can't read the Psalms and argue with that. The emotion of the psalmist and the joy of his heart when he's soaring high and in the depths of despair. And, and this notion of being beloved, knowing that I'm well-loved. If somebody said to you, give me one sentence that defines what it means for you to be a Christian, would you say above everything else is that I know I'm loved by my heavenly father. Most of us feel like God likes us because he has to because it's written down in the God handbook somewhere that he had to be kind and gracious to us because we're not really all that deserving. And that's true, we're not all that deserving, but that's not how God sees us. He looks at us the same way he looks at the Lord Jesus because of the faith that we have in Christ. Therefore, I must know I am well-loved. Otherwise, I'm going to fall short uh, by the obstacles to imitation. I'm either going to try to tough it out and say, well, I don't really need to be loved, or I'm just going to go with this notion of I don't deserve it, and therefore God couldn't possibly give it to me, and I'm going to uh, fail at being an imitator of God because I will pick something other than being a beloved child, and it will be on my terms instead of on God's terms. And, and brothers and sisters, this is a process. This is, this is something that, that has to grow into our lives. Thinking about being an imitator, that, that, I, that I look at my father and I look at my relation with him, and that lords over every decision in my life, big or small. Cindy and I went out to dinner last night. We went to a restaurant, which will remain nameless, and the server was having an off night. When I say the server was having an off night, I mean it was, it just, it, it did not go well kind of from start to finish. I asked if there was some rice available and, and I got rebuked for not understanding that if you're in a certain type of restaurant, there is no rice available. Uh, and so my temptation is to reciprocate in the same way that I'm being treated, but that's not what God says to me. God says, love in the way you've been loved. So that's an unconditional love. That's a love that, that knows that I'm going to maybe have a bad day every now and then. And, and the blood of Jesus covers that. And so I, I, as I'm sitting there, I'm getting, I'm getting kind of more and more convicted that I, I got frustrated and I was put out by that. You know, how dare the server not treat me well at a restaurant? I mean, boy, do I have really big problems in my life, let me tell you. So how do you love a server at a restaurant unconditionally when they do a poor job? You triple the tip. 
That's what you do. Now, I'm not all that great of a person. I had a gift card, so don't, don't nominate me for sainthood yet. But here's, 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 here's the truth, brothers and sisters. If I'm not willing to let God speak into that situation, I'm not going to let him speak into the really big, important stuff. If I don't see myself as a beloved child in that situation, how will I ever do that when I'm struggling in my marriage? Or, or I'm not sure how to raise my children. Or I'm faced with a dilemma in, in my work. When, when Paul says, be imitators as beloved children, you have to take all of that together. We have to embrace this notion of replicating God's be God as our Father because we want to imitate one that has loved us so well. Secondly, Paul says, not only do we replicate, but he calls us to establish a habit. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Now, the notion there, you got you to put yourself in Paul's day and age. Everybody walked everywhere. So when he says walk in love, he's talking about that's how you live every day. So if I said, you know, if as you go around St. Louis this week in your offices, in your schools, as, you, as you're in your carpool, as you're, you know, you're, you're on your social media, make sure that you're doing that in the context of love. We would get that. That's what Paul means. Make it a habit of your life. Make love, God's love, be the natural thing that comes out of your life. Do I have a habit that is formed in God's character that is actually proactive and not reactive? Am I actually intentionally thinking, how do I follow God in this notion of loving in the way I've been loved? And how do I practice that? Because you don't wake up one morning and have a habit. You start with an idea, you start with a goal in mind, you start with an intention, you begin to work towards it, you begin to put practices in your life, and you begin to experiment with different ways to do it, and you begin to change uh, from what you're doing now to you're starting to kind of get into the swing of things, and you're editing, and you're kind of moving it around, and pretty soon, it's kind of how you're walking, and it's become natural, but that's a process. Have you ever read Stephen Covey's book, Seven ha Habits of Highly Effective People? Th those people didn't wake up one morning and go, I'm highly effective, I think I want to get some good habits in my life. <laughs> Right? You kind of flip that around. Those folks, whether they said I want to be highly effective or not, they said I want to see some things true in my life and I'm going to work to that end. What Paul says is we cooperate with the Holy Spirit of God who wants to create this love and we begin to practice. We begin to, to, to make it so that it's natural and not unnatural, which means you, you, not, you, you have to back the bus up pretty far. It's not just what are some things that I can begin to do that will help me start to love. You have to go back even further and ask this question, which is when I came to this the other day at my desk, it disturbed me because I realized I couldn't give a really great answer. Do I actually want God's love as, as a habit in my life? Do I really want the unconditional love of God to be naturally flowing through me? Because it's not an easy thing. It's not a simple thing. It's a profound thing. Think of the love of Christ. Think of what we just celebrated a few minutes ago. Think of, of that being in control of my life. Do I actually really want that? That's going to be so hard because I'm going to have to die to myself and I'm going to have to let Christ live in me more. But I want to be committed to the habit. I want to walk in love because I've been loved by my Father. Thirdly, Paul says, not only do we want to replicate God, begin to create this habit of godly love, but our focus must always be in Christ. On Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Now, here's our focus as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Our focus must always be on the Lord Jesus and how he has loved us. The definition of Christ's love, I think, to kind of sum it up pretty, pretty 
succinctly, and certainly not to mention everything about it, I think we can, we can absolutely say for certain it's two things. The first is this, that the love of Christ led him to give everything for us. Uh, you know, I've kind of heard maybe you played a sport and you're the coach say, don't leave anything out on the field, give it all. When Jesus went to the cross, he, he gave everything he had. He gave his life for your life. He gave his perfection for my imperfection. He took on all of the judgment that I deserved as a penalty for my sins, and he gave me complete freedom and redemption. Jesus gave everything. That's how he defined love. And not only that, but Jesus also gave a love that was unconditional. And what I mean by that is that he didn't wait for us to love him before he loved us. Paul says it actually pretty, pretty stridently in Romans chapter 5. While we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. That's the love that God wants to use to transform your heart and my heart. That's the love that he wants to be so in control of your life and my life that when we walk out of the door in the morning and we enter into the greater St. Louis area, whether it's in Kirkwood or out in Baldwin or downtown, wherever we are, in a school or in a business or in a shopping center, wherever the, the case may be, that that love is engaging with everybody around us to the extent that they see the gospel of Jesus Christ being lived out right in front of them. And that's why our focus must always be on him. That focus is everything. When uh, uh, our youngest, or not our youngest, he's our second youngest grandson, Cole, uh, was born, Nathan's uh, youngest son, he was born with a problem with his eyes. And if you ever watch Cole, his eyes kind of look up. They just, they just kind of keep going uh, up. And that causes problems when you're a small child and you start to learn to walk and you're, and you're always kind of looking at the, at the ceiling and not at the floor. And it's, it was a muscle thing that was in his eyes. There's a technical name for it. I can't remember what it is. But uh, just recently in the last month, uh, there was a doctor, an eye doctor, who performed surgery and basically, and I'm going to say this wrong. Uh, so Nathan, if you're listening to the sermon on a podcast later, I apologize for getting it wrong. But they, they, somehow they, they, they got the muscles, I don't know if they cut them or whatever, but they kept the muscles from pushing the eye up. So now the eye just kind of naturally stays at the level it's supposed to be. And so he now kind of naturally can look and see where he's going. I'm sorry, but focus is everything. The ability to see the ground in front of you. So they've, they've moved out to Colorado and they've taken up skiing. And you think I cry about everything under the sun, I'm going to cry about skiing. So you see little Cole getting a chance to get a skiing lesson. And know that he's not going to run into a tree because he's looking up in the air, but he can actually see where he's going. And you're like, oh my gosh, how incredible is that that he can now focus? Our Father says to us, you focus with the love of Christ. You focus on Christ. You get your eyes in the right spot. A lot of other things are going to fall into place. Your spiritual community is going to be a healthier spiritual community. You're going to be able to love more quickly with the love of God when your focus is on the love that Christ has had for you. And then fourthly, regardless of the outcome, our love, with, when we love with God's love, is always an act of worship. Look at this last verse. It's kind of an odd deal. And, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That, that seems a little bit odd, but what Paul is doing there is he's going back to when the children of Israel were leaving uh, Egypt. They were headed to the promised land. And in Exodus chapter 30, God is giving, not just in chapter 30, in several chapters around that, God's giving instructions for how to, to put it in our modern vernacular, how to do church 
How, how, do, how, do we, how do we worship? And this is one of the things that he says in the process. You will, we go that slide, you will uh, make an altar on which to burn incense. So there's this notion of incense. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. There's that word fragrant. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, regular incense offering before the Lord. So I went online, I found a, an artist's rendition of this experience. And, uh, you know, maybe a little bit cartoonish, but the dimensions are correct. That's the altar with the incense. That's what the priest would wear when he would go in to, to offer this incense. And it was an act of worship. Well, how is it an act of worship? Well, let's look at a couple other places in Scripture. If you go to Psalm 141, the psalmist says this, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. The psalmist is equating his prayers as acts of worship towards God. In the book of Revelation, chapter 4, chapter 5 of Revelation are a picture of heaven the worship that takes place in heaven from the creation of the world to the second coming of Jesus. You get a big old time span in just two little chapters. What more could you ask for? And the only vision in chapters four and five is about heaven. You get pretty way, good far away into chapter five and it says this, it's talking about Jesus. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So when you come back to our passage this morning and we see this as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, what Paul is helping us understand is that Jesus' sacrifice, first and foremost, even before it was redemptive, it was an act of worship to his Father. Jesus was honoring his father first and foremost. He was honoring the fact that there had to be a perfect lamb provided in place of our imperfection. What Jesus was doing was sacrificing himself, following the, the law of God in order that you and I could therefore be redemptive. So it's not that his, his work wasn't redemptive, it's just that we got to get it in order. This act of love is an act of worship. However, I'm loving whatever the action is. My motive for love ought always to be God's glory. Therefore, I cannot be indifferent and see it as anything indifferent to love and see it as anything other than rebellion against my heavenly father. If I am comfortable with the hate that springs up in my heart, and I don't see that as an abomination to God, and I don't see that as, as working directly against the antithesis of God's love, I've become far, far, far too casual in my understanding of my own sin and my own need of a Savior. And so I come back to my four words, as I'm now officially an old man. And don't worry, I'm going to let that go after another week or so. And, uh, and thinking about the words that I actually really want to define my life. And I've actually kind of just narrowed it down to two. The first one is I want to be a person that knows he's loved by God, that really truly embraces this truth that Scripture is giving us, that I am a beloved, not because I earned it, but because of the character of my Heavenly Father and the power of my Lord Jesus to redeem me and the, and, and the perseverance of the Holy Spirit to continue to work in my heart. I am completely and ultimately and totally beloved 
by my Father. And, and I ought to be able to rest in that in any and every circumstance. And then secondly, I want to be an imitator. I want to love the way Christ loved me. Well, how on earth do you begin to develop those habits? And I would say, bingo, that's the right question to ask. How, how, do, how do we uh, begin to figure this out? Or how do we continue on this journey? And, and so our application is going to be, maybe it's going to seem a little odd to you this morning, uh, but it's not just bingo as in way to go, you've gotten the right answer, but it's actually bingo the game. Who's ever played bingo? Okay, a lot of people play bingo. Well, guess what we're going to do this week? We're going to play a little game called the bingo of love. Now, when I say it that way, the staff gets really nervous, and they're like, Tom, please don't say it that way, but I had to. I'm sorry. Um, so when you leave this morning, you're going to get a bingo card, and it's going to look like this on this side, and then on the back, it's going to look like this, and, and we'll come to some of this instruction in just a minute. And if uh, you guys that are younger, if you didn't get one this morning in Sunday school, when you go out... If you're an elementary school student, it looks like this, same color, but there are a lot more circles. And if you're a preschooler, you guys only have, you have bigger circles. You have nine circles. So make sure you get the age appropriate one. Okay, I don't see elders walking around with the, with the preschool bingo card. Okay, but why are we doing this? Because we want to practice. We, we want the love of Christ to control our lives. And it doesn't just happen because we think about it for 30 minutes on Sunday morning and then we're off for the rest of our week. So you get to play bingo all week and there's some cool stuff on her. Sit by someone new uh, in the lunchroom. Uh, write a thank you note to a teacher. Uh, let's see, make cookies for your pastor. Oh no, for a neighbor. Sorry, I, mis I misread that. No, don't make cookies for me. I'm off cookies right now. Uh, hug a parent. Walk somebody's dog. And then the middle one is just like a regular bingo card. It's a freebie. You get to create your own walk in love right there. So we want you to take this and we want you to practice with the notion in mind of being someone who's beloved by God and with the notion of someone who longs to be an imitator of Christ. Now, that's not all. There's a little bit more to it. We want you to bring them back next Sunday, whichever card you filled out. And it's not, a, it's not you know, we, I don't have enough circles filled out. Just bring it back, put your name on it, and we're going to collect them at the end of each service because we want this kind of fun exercise that we're doing to have an impact on somebody that isn't part of our fellowship. So what we're going to do is we're going to put all the cards with everybody, everybody put their name and put the cards in, and we're going to pull one name out. Whatever name we pull out, we're going to give that person a list of all of our ministry partners at Green Tree. Do you know what I mean when I mean, say ministry partner? There are people in St. Louis or, or uh, the, our nation around the world, folks that we pray for and we support financially. So we're going to give you a list of those people, and you get to pick the one that's going to get a totally unexpected special $300 gift from Green Tree Community Church just as an expression of our love for them and our appreciation for what they're doing. Walking in love doesn't just happen. Understanding that you're loved by Jesus to the depth to which he has loved us doesn't just happen. But Paul gives us great hope this morning. Be imitators, how? As beloved children, look at your daddy. Look at your mama. What, what are they doing? They're, they're, they're loving you. Right? What, what's your heavenly father doing? He's loving you unconditionally. He's loving you selflessly. Stay focused on that through the Lord Jesus and walk in that love. That'll be a sacrifice to God and it'll be a witness for his glory. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that when we focus on you, what we see is someone who who refused to allow sin 
and death and hell to have the last word. At the price of your life, sacrificed so that we could be redeemed. Lord Jesus, we cannot thank you and praise you and worship you enough for that. But one of the ways that we can show our love for you is by embracing this truth that you want to transform us with your love. That we can now look at our lives through the lens of children who have been dearly loved by our Heavenly Father. And we can cooperate with the work of your Holy Spirit. We can believe in your word in a very practical way by walking in that love in a way that is worshipful to you and in a way that is transforming to a world that so desperately needs your love. Lord Jesus, teach us that love this week, we pray in your name. Amen.